Recently, I moved back to Minnesota four months ago, and recently I spent a great deal of effort trying to get my driver's license. You have to take the written test again. You have to go through a lot. You have to bring about 10 different items of documentation that says you are a resident and that you were born and that you, yeah, I mean, original Social Security card, the whole bit. But now I decided, since I had to change, that I went all the way and got this enhanced driver's license. I mean, it's the one that has this great little star and it says North Star on it. And it, it actually allows me to go into Canada or into Mexico without my passport. So uh, you're supposed to congratulate me about that. <laughs> okay, thank you, thank you. Very good. I, I, won't, I won't say, my wife just recently got hers and she went through even more effort than I did. You can ask her about that later. I won't talk about it now. Um, would you like, uh, you know, two-thirds of the way down on the card, though, there's this little heart, and it says donor, because when I filled it out, it gave me the option if I wanted to be, uh, if I wanted to volunteer to be a uh, organ donor or not. Would you like to know the state that has the most people, percentage-wise, who volunteered to be organ donors. I'm going to tell you anyway. It's not Texas. Somebody said Texas. All right, Montana. 82% of the people living in Montana volunteered, opted in to be an organ donor. Vermont is the lowest. So 5%. I know someone here that used to live in Vermont. Number 50, 5%. That's a pretty big difference between 82 and 50%. My home state, Texas, was 49th at only 17%. Pretty bad. Pretty bad. Where's Minnesota? Where do you think you are? Tied for 12th. You can be proud for 12th, I guess. 62% of Minnesota residents, of which I am one now, have volunteered, opted in, chosen to say, I want to volunteer to be an organ donor. Now, how about real transplants per country? So I'm going to tell you about this for a second, and I have a point that I'm going to get to. The USA, per million of population, has 32 transplants uh, per million people per year. All right. Um, now, that may be good. I'm, I'm not sh sure how, considering that the U.S. has some of the best medical care and some of the best doctors and some of the best sciences around, then, then that... We should be there, all right? But look in Europe. Croatia, Portugal, and Belgium all have higher rates than the USA does. Why do... So I've got two questions with this. Greece and Germany, only 6 per million, and Germany, only 10 per million. Uh, why the difference? So my two questions are, why does Croatia, Portugal, and Belgium have a higher rate, considering all the factors that we've just talked about, USA should be far ahead of them, and we're not. And then why is the difference in Greece and Germany, why are they so low? The difference is this. Croatia, Portugal, and Belgium have a law that says you are automatically a presumed donor. There's no, check, there's no box to check that says I want to be a donor. You're automatically presumed to be a donor. The United Kingdom has passed that law this year, 2020, that they will do that. Guess what? Greece and Germany do not have that. 
Greece and Germany is like the U.S. where you have to opt in, and that's so low. My point with it, oh, and, and I guess one more, Spain leads the world, 47 transplants per million of their population, far above any other, far above the U.S., far above any other, and they have that law, but they also do a lot more. They have communication. They have communication in the hospitals. They have communication with the families who are prospective donors. They have communication with the needs and all of this encouragement and communication, and they have a national transplant organization set up, and so they lead the world uh, in the ability to do these transplants and, and be successful at it. My point for us as Christians is this. As Christians, this, this series that we're talking about, the illusion of control, as Christians... Sometimes we feel like, ah, it's my choice to opt in whether or not I'm going to really pray or not. And I want to tell you that if you are a disciple of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, you don't have that choice. You, it should be presumed that if you follow Jesus that you're praying every day. So we shouldn't have to opt in and we shouldn't be able to opt out. That as Christians, so what they did with these, uh, with these statistics is they feel like that law that says you are a presumed donor bridges the gap between inaction and action as far as donor transplants go. As Christians, I think sometimes we have come to the point in our Christian walk that says, yeah, that, I mean, I'm a Christian, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, but I, I have this choice to pray every day or not. And I think what that leads to is a lot of inaction, like in the U.S. or like in Greece or Germany. And we need to change that. We need to talk about prayer in such a way to say that, no, you, if you're going to follow Jesus, then you're going to pray every day. All right. Um, and then hopefully we're communicating that. We're talking about prayer. We're talking about the answers that God gives to prayer. We're encouraging one another like Spain does with this. All right. We continually wrestle with actually giving God control over our lives. Um, sometimes when we, this illusion of control series, sometimes when we're talking about prayer, we pray in such a way where we're kind of manipulating God. We're asking God to do what we want him to do. And, and when we do that, then we have this illusion of control that we're actually, we're still the ones in control. On the other hand, Sometimes we act like, God, I got this. Don't need to pray. We don't pray every day. And then we are under this illusion that we are in control of our lives. We're not in control of our lives. Yes, we can make choices. But without God, we are not in control. And I believe most times we act like we're in control we forget about God, and prayerlessness is what I want to talk about this morning. So I'm going to pray real quick for us. God, we never want to go ahead without you. We never want to think that we're in control. Uh, forgive us, Lord, when we do that. Forgive us when we forget about you, when we try to live our lives and follow after our own will, not asking you, not allowing you to lead us. Teach us this morning 
about what pleases you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Romans 121 says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. You know Romans 1, you know about the people that forget about God and become unfaithful to him, but it says they knew God. It's not just pagans who had never heard about it, it's people who knew God, and then it says, but they wouldn't worship him or give him thanks. My question is, how many days of the week are we guilty of this? We're here this morning, and that's great. But do we forget about God and fail to give Him thanks the other days of the week? Are those the days of the week where we're like, God, okay, I got this. Thanks for yesterday. Thanks for Sunday. But today, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I've got this now. And then we we feel like we're in control. Prayerlessness is one of America's greatest sins. Revelation chapter 3, the letters to the churches, you get to the last one, the church at Laodicea, and it says that they had great wealth, and then it says that they have become lukewarm as followers and believers. And sometimes I believe that America in general, Christians in America, we have great wealth, and we have become prayerless, and we have become lukewarm. We have run ahead of God. Churches can grow without God. But are they actually benefiting the kingdom? And I believe that they're not unless they're praying, unless they are letting God lead. Some of you know who this is. Yogi Berra, catcher for the New York Yankees. Yogi Berra was famous for many of his quotes. He would say, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. He would say, it ain't over till it's over. He would say, it's deja vu all over again. He would say, you can observe a lot by watching. And my personal favorite, he said, always go to other people's funerals, otherwise they won't come to yours. (laughs) They tell a story about Yogi Berra. He's playing. It's the bottom of the ninth. It's a tie game. Batter walks up, opposing batter, uh, marks a cross in the dirt by the plate, on the plate, and then proceeds to get ready to bat. And Yogi Berra reaches up there with his glove, brushes the cross out. Yogi Berra, a devout Catholic, brushes that cross out, and he says, why don't we let God just watch this game? That's probably good theology when it comes to baseball. But that is not good theology when it comes to churches and Christians. And sometimes we're doing that. Sometimes we're going on ahead, we're doing what we think is best, we're asking God to bless it, but we're not praying and asking Him what He wants to do or what we should do, and so we're kind of acting like, God, we got this, and we're just going to let God watch. Psalm 127.1 says, Unless the Lord builds a house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects a city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. The writer here understands. And he says that if the Lord's not in it, then the work is wasted. Going on to the next verse, he says, It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. It's useless. Your work is wasted. What you do is useless. You become anxious. That's what happens if we 
are trying to do it ourselves and we do not ask God and we do not allow God to be involved. Um, we talked about Greece. I uh, want to remind you that some of the missionaries that this church supports, Phil and Rebecca Jackson, have just gotten there. They just arrived last week, I believe. Um, finally got their visas and stuff. And one of the things that they are focusing on in their, in their ministry, if you look at their uh, website and their newsletter, number one of their ministry they have listed as prayer. And then they have these three goals in regards to prayer. Daily prayer, personally and for the family. So they are going to be involved in prayer daily in their personal lives, uh, Phil and Rebecca, and as a family. And then twice weekly, they're going to be praying with 15 other colleagues and other people that they're working with as missionary workers. Twice weekly, they'll do that with 15 other people. And then once a week, they have made it a priority to do this with 20 new seekers and believers that they come in contact with. They've made prayer a priority. Why? They realize that that work has to be led by God. It has, God has to be in it. It can't just be man's own ideas. It can't just be us working hard unless the Lord builds the house. And so they've made prayer, and they're going to spend a great deal of time in it. God has to be leading we need to be asking him, and we want to be a praying church. What about Jesus' example? Jesus' example uh, in Mark chapter 1. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. If you remember Mark chapter 1, he, gets to, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. A bunch of people from the town come in, and they all have problems, and they want to see Jesus, and they want Jesus to heal him. So late at night, because everyone from the town gathers together at this one house, and Jesus is doing that. But the next morning, even after working so hard and being so busy, Jesus goes out alone before it was daylight, while it was still dark. And spends time in prayer alone. The disciples are looking for him everywhere. And yet Jesus says, no, this is, I've got to be doing this. He knew. Do you think Jesus was busy? Do you think Jesus had places to go? Do you think Jesus had people to see? Do you think there were demands on his time? And what did he do? He made sure he focused on prayer, his relationship with the Father. I want to look at Matthew six nineteen. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. What does this have to do with prayer? Well, I don't think this is a coincidence because if you read Matthew chapter 6, the whole first half of the chapter talks about prayer and fasting. And after Jesus talks about prayer and fasting in the first half of Matthew 6, he then transitions into this, talking about storing up treasures in heaven. Um, it's not a coincidence. He knows what keeps us from praying. Jesus knows. It. I want to tell you, I want to give you an example. Um, so in 1957 in Tulsa, Oklahoma, they decided they were going to do a... Uh, Time capsule. Anybody ever done a time capsule? I remember in elementary school, we did a time capsule, you know, something, I don't know, they put it, we buried it in the schoolyard. People do time capsules all the time. 
1957, Oklahoma was celebrating 50 years of statehood, and Oklahoma City had done some kind of time capsule a little bit earlier. Tulsa thought, we're going to outdo Oklahoma City, and we're going to bury a brand new car. 1957, Plymouth Belvedere. Nice car in those days, I'm told. I don't know. But very nice car. They're going to, brand new, four miles on the odometer. They're going to bury that. They're going to put things in the truck that have the trunk that have to do with uh, Oklahoma, several things. They, they decided to make a big contest. And they decided anybody could enter. And if you could guess the population of Tulsa in the year 2007, 50 years later, then you would win this car, this brand new car. It'll be 50 years old. But it will still only have four miles on the odometer, and it'll be worth thousands. So they did the contest. They buried the car. They buried all of this stuff. They, 1950s Cold War, they put it in a vault that they said would withstand a nuclear bomb. They buried gasoline and oil because they are thinking of everything, and they said, in 50 years, what if cars don't run on gasoline and oil? What if they run on something else? 50 years is a long time, right? So they bury gasoline and oil with it. They bury all the things, information about Tulsa and the contest on microfilm, put it in the glove compartment of the car. They wrap the car in waterproof plastic. They put stuff over the engine. They, I mean, you, you can watch 10-minute videos of this stuff on on YouTube. There's websites called buriedcar.com, I believe. Anyway, I watched some of these videos, and they were too long to show them to you, but it was pretty amazing. So, what happens? 50 years goes by. Oklahoma is now 100 years old, and they decide to, to dig it up. They were going to dig it up, and uh, it was buried in the courtyard, or, or the yard of the courthouse there in Tulsa, Big deal. They planned 18 months how they were going to dig it up, set it up. 9,000 people gathered to watch this. They dug it up. <laughs> they got some of the plastic off. Some of it ripped up and peeled up. All this engineering to keep the vault safe from nuclear bombs, somehow they didn't get it to keep water out. And the car was buried in water. The engine was seized up. There, I mean, there was nothing, any, anything. <laughs> the microfilm that they had put in there had disintegrated. They had left the car key in it. It had disintegrated. Um, the, the worst part of it, the guy who won the contest had died 28 years before. <laughs> I, I, so... Tulsa was like, hey, some people were like, are we going to put, are we going to, you know, display this somewhere? And they're like, no, no, we, we screwed this thing up so bad, we don't want to display it anymore. <laughs> 50 short years. 1957, they probably thought, 50 years, that's a long time. And then 2007 rocked around, and they see this, and it's like, 50 short years, people have died, I mean... Jesus' words were full of wisdom. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Sometimes we look at our lives and we think about our lives and we think about our lives on this earth. 
And like Patrick said a few weeks ago, it's just a vapor. You're just a mist. The things that we spend our time on in this world will never last. Matthew 6, 21, the next verse, Jesus says, Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be. 1987, I met my wife, Tina. We've been married 30 years. When I first met her, I couldn't get her out of my head. I thought about her all the time. I wanted to spend time with her all the time. She couldn't remember my name, but that's another story. <laughs> eventually, eventually, we started spending time together. And I thought, okay, I want, I'm thinking about her constantly. Now, this may come as a surprise to you, but sometimes I'm a little mischievous in my thoughts. I actually copied a car, her car key without her knowing it. And while she was in class, I would go and just move her car a couple of parking spaces over. And then I'd watch her come out of class. And then I got to where I'd move it a little further each time. And anyway, one time I had this great idea that I was going to fill her car with popcorn. It was an expensive feat because I burned up two hot air poppers. I ended up you know, filling it halfway full of popcorn, and then I bought the styrofoam peanut shells and mixed that in so that I could fill it up. So I did fill it up to the dashboard in all seats with popcorn, put it while she was in class, and then me and my roommate waited to watch her come out. She was parked in the uh, missions parking lot, and uh, I wrote a little note. This, this was just a bold-faced lie, but I wrote a little note confessing here that I, I signed one of the professor's Dr. Matthews from the missions department said, I see your predicament here, but I realize if you open this, that stuff's going to spill out everywhere in our parking lot, so don't want you to do that. I put that on the window. So she comes back from class. She sees the car. She reads the note and, uh, and then goes in. And the, the secretary in there says, when she walked in, everything, she looked at my wife's face. She's the one rolling her eyes right now. If, if, when she walked in, the secretary said, you're the one with the car. Because she could see it on my wife's face. So she went out there. And what did she say, Tina? She said, all right, you know he's probably watching. So don't act like this is any big deal or anything. And, this, and then they got trash cans. And they opened the car and tried to fill it. But they didn't get it all out. But Tina was late for work. So she gets in and she starts driving. And we start following her. And now I'm going to confess for my wife. She pulls into like a storage unit and pulls to the back, opens the door. And every time she hit the brake while she was driving, all this popcorn and peanuts would come and fill the cab where she was again and so she got out and she was trying to just dump dump this stuff out in the parking lot and we stopped her and said you can't do that um my wife by the grace of god is still married to me she probably thought you know so it was her choice to marry me even after all that but i think she thought that you know after three or four years he'll probably mature <laughs> I haven't done that one again. I've made several mistakes that I have not done again. My point is that I looked for all kinds of ways that I could spend time with Tina. And, then, and, and I was always thinking about her. Now, I wasn't always thinking of the things that I should be doing. But I was always thinking about her. The desires of your heart 
When we pray, if we pray, the desires of our heart are changed. We, as, as disciples, we want to be transformed. And you, we're not going to be transformed unless we spend time with God. And the desires of our heart should be to spend time with Him. Last week, Bruce taught on Psalm 73. did a good job, and I have not stopped thinking about this verse all week. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. And I just keep thinking about it all week, saying, do I? Do I desire God more than anything on earth? I read a book, um, Ben Patterson, Deepening Your Conversation with God. And in there, he tells this story. He's, he's at an airport, and he's early, and he sits down and starts uh, just observing people. It's one of the things that you know, we tend to do as humans. We watch people when we don't have as much to do. He says this couple walks up, and they're both dressed. He said he thought they were lawyers. They both had briefcases. They both had a lot of papers uh, they're both going to fly out somewhere, and then they're, you know, they're both fumbling with their papers and trying to hurry. They're, they're busy. They're hurried. Both have to catch flights. And he says at one point, he's watching them. They just died. So at one point, he's watching this couple, and she leans into him really close to give him a kiss. He's fumbling with his papers, and he has no idea what's going on. So then she kind of backs off, and then, and then he quits fumbling with his papers, and, she, and then he leans in to give her a kiss. Goodbye. And, and then, but she's fumbling with her papers now. So she doesn't know it, so neither one of them. And he says, then it happens again. She leans in to try and give him a goodbye kiss. He has no idea. Later, he leans into her. So twice for each of them, they try to give each other this nice goodbye kiss before they split their ways. They don't do it. He said, finally, one of their plane is coming, and they split, and they just leave. And he said, they missed the most important part, that sweet time of saying goodbye to their spouse. I think sometimes we get so busy with our day-to-day -day activities that we miss this sweet time with God and our Savior, Jesus. And we're busy and we're hurried. And, and we allow those things to determine our actions and the rest of the day rather than what's most important. And I do it. I'm telling you, I'm confessing here because... My problem is I love sports. I'm a seven on the Enneagram. If you guys know what that is, it says I'm, a, it says I'm an entertaining optimist. And so I'm, one of the things it's told me is that one of my motivations is actually fear of not having a good time, of missing out on something fun. We, I go through life. I have so many things I enjoy. I love sports. I love all sports. I mean, I love baseball. I love football. I mean, so no time of the year do I get a break, right? I even love fishing and hunting and all of these things. And so I, I, I get distracted by everything. 
And then I come up here sometimes and I have this great plan to pray and spend time reading my scripture before I start the day. And what do I do? Oh, wait, I got this list of things to do. Let me just knock a couple of them off. And then before you know it, some days I've, I'm skipping it. So I'm, I'm getting better about praying throughout the day, little sentences, you know, praying about what I do. If I'm getting ready to meet somebody, I pray before I do it, pray after I do it, pray that God works in it, you know, in spite of me. I'm pretty good about that, but I'm not very good. It's still a struggle for me to spend time praying to God and listening to him each day because I get so distracted by things I want to get done and by the things that I enjoy. So how do we get past that? So we're going to try to help you, and one of the things we're going to help you with, so this date, March 3rd, 2020, it's next week. It's a week from Tuesday. We picked this date not because it looks symmetrical on the screen, but because it is 40 days before Easter. March, March 3rd starts, you have 40 days starting March 3rd, and then you have Easter Sunday. Last year, I understand that you as a church had 28 days of prayer. This year, we're going to do 40. We're going to do 40 days of prayer. We'd like everybody to be involved in that time. We, I've written up this thing called 40 days of prayer, my wife and I, and uh, Chelsea's going to be able to remind you on social media and, and things, text messages, so that you can do that. Each day, you'll get a little blurb, a little reminder, a little prayer, a little scripture, but we would like all of you to, all of you, to participate in that 40-day prayer challenge. So what do you need to do this week to prepare your mind for 40 days of prayer? Because if you're like me, you may miss some days of prayer. So that's one of the things we want you to do, is participate in that. The other thing we want you to do is, is, is or we want us as a church to do, to be a praying church, we want to establish a prayer team and a prayer ministry and that may mean coming up here early before worship services and praying as a group together it may mean coming up here on another evening it may mean coming up here early on Wednesday or staying late or whatever and be in prayer about all the things that our church has as far as our needs and asking God what do you want us to do making sure God goes before us rather than telling God we've got this it's okay We've got control of this. And then like Spain did with their, donor, with their transplants, organ transplants, we want to be communicating about it better. We want to be encouraging you to pray, and we want to be telling you answers to prayer. And if, and if we've got a prayer team, a prayer ministry, and we're doing this more, then the word gets around, and then we'll be better at communicating that and, and understanding what God does, and we'll be praying, uh, and we'll be praising God for what that is. So... What do you need to do this week to prepare your mind for that commitment? So, as we start to sum up, prayer is a must. All right? It's, it's not a, something you can opt in. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, prayer is a must. Um, secondly, prayer is a gift of love and relationship. I don't know if we grasp that. Sometimes we think of prayer as a duty, something that we know we're supposed to do, but we don't like it, and we get distracted like I've already confessed. But we need to see prayer as a gift of love and relationship from God. 
There's a song by 10th Avenue North, and the song, goes, Give you Con- the song is called Give You Control. I'm just going to read part of the lyrics. God, you don't need me, but somehow you want me. Oh, how you love me. Somehow that frees me to take my hands off of my life and the way it should go. Oh, God, you don't need me, but somehow you want me. Oh, how you love me. Somehow that frees me to open my hands up and give you control. I give you control. Oh, give you control. Oh, I want to give you control. I give you control. Oh, you want me. Somehow you want me. The king of heaven wants me. So this world has lost its grip on me. It speaks to me because of my struggle in prayer. If I focus on my God, if I focus on the relationship I have with Jesus, if I focus on the fact that he doesn't need me at all, and yet he wants this relationship with me, When I understand the greatness, the awesomeness of that, that is what helps release the grip that this world and this life has on me. Before I pray and close this out, if God has touched you, touched your heart, spoken to you this morning, I pray that you will listen to it. I pray that we'll have people over here by the prayer wall writing on prayer requests because we're going to be praying about that. We have been, the staff, the last, last few weeks we've done this. Um, I pray, I, I'm going to stay up front because if you have some ideas about this prayer team and prayer ministry, if you have an interest, come tell me. Um, we, we would appreciate comments. Uh, we, and then that way we... We'll, we'll figure out how God wants us to do that because we want to be a praying church and we want to be a praying church because we want to do God's will and we want to see what he wants done here, not just, hey, God, I got this. All right, let's pray.